Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where I speak with creative entrepreneurs, artists, and other insanely interesting people to hear their stories learn about their molding moments, tipping points, and spectacular takeoffs. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. In this episode of The Unmistakable Creative, I speak with Chris McKinley. Chris's disparate career path has led to working as a Chinese-English translator, playing Team Blackjack, and eventually a math PhD program at UCLA. The perfect real-world scenario to test out the knowledge gained from his math PhD turned out to be OkCupid, and using math to hack OkCupid eventually led to meeting the love of his life. Chris, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to join us. So you know, I came across your story by uh, a way of a Wired article on how a math genius hacked OkCupid to find true love. And I saw that and I thought, okay, this has got to be a really fascinating person. I read the article and I was just you know, parts of it made me laugh out loud. And I thought this would be a hell of a story to tell uh, here on The Unmistakable Creative. Um, so I'm going to ask you my first question, which is, uh, can you tell us a, a bit about your background, your story, uh, yourself, and, and how that has led to this crazy thing that we, uh, as the internet world, know you for today? Yeah, sure. Um, well, let's see. You know, I, I grew up in, like, New England right? Um, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire. I went to like kind of stuffy boarding school. Um, didn't fit in that well. Uh, got on the internet like pretty early, relatively speaking, you know, like 93, 94, uh, originally by like sneaking into, you know, like the high school computer lab at night. And I would, uh, like pretend to be, a you know, 16, 17 year old girl on these, like, I don't even know if you know what a bulletin board system is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I'd I'd pretend to be a girl on these things and like get guys to send me, you know, like free, like Slayer t-shirts and Metallica albums and stuff like that. Um, started getting in trouble, uh, got suspended a couple times. Um, for messing around with uh, databases that I wasn't supposed to, you know, in school. Uh, didn't go to MIT. Uh, um, I, I did go to HIT, uh, which stands for Harbin Institute of Technology, uh, which is Harbin, China, just like bumfuck Siberia. <laughs> um, really, you know, cold city, uh, burn a lot of coal for water, you know, in the dorm I lived in, uh, occasionally they'd run out of coal and have to burn like styrofoam for water. Um, super crowded. Like I lived in a dorm room with seven other guys. Um, you know, so at any given time, there's like a reasonably high probability that one of them was masturbating. Uh, <laughs> you know, 
porn very difficult to get in China in the late 90s. Uh, this one guy I knew in school actually uh, retasked a radio antenna on top of the physics building to, to get Korean softcore. Uh, you know, so like, it, actually, I, I, I still, I'm still in touch with some of those guys. And, you know, uh, they, they read the article and uh, they, they weren't really impressed. You know, <laughs> they they thought they were like, "That's cool, that's cool." How are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, then I uh, I went to grad school at UCLA, um, and I uh, you know wrote a dissertation on um, y- using high throughput architectures to. Uh, you know, implement like throughput oriented tensor compaction algorithms, <laughs> uh, blah, blah, blah. I guess I, I was able to hold down a, a relationship in grad school, um, and, uh, for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it, I, I think it felt more like a study break to her. And so she, she moved to Paris and, um, you know, emailed me, uh, and said, you know, Hey, I, Chris, I met someone else. Um, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's an older French artist. Uh, and, and then she's, she said, you know, if you, if you want to see what my, my life is like now, you should watch, um, last tango in Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did, uh, and then I, I did, the only rational thing to, to me at the time, which was, you know, I, I packed up my whole apartment, I put it in storage, uh, and then I moved into my study cubicle in school wow. uh, full time um, and, you know, slept like on a mattress on my desk at night. Uh, and I was actually not the only person in the department doing that. Uh, there were several Chinese grad students doing that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it sort of felt like I was back in Harbin, um, except that uh, it was warmer and the, um, you didn't have to try so hard to get porn if you wanted to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, that was, that was my life prior to uh, that article, I guess. Okay. Interesting. So a couple of questions around that. I mean, I, you know, I love that you brought this, this idea of, of not fitting in, um, which, you know, that, that's an ongoing theme, I think, for anybody who somehow finds themselves uh, behind the mic with me is that they didn't fit in in some way. And I guess, you know, it, it, it's funny because I think we feel that as uh, kids pretty regularly and it manifests in different ways. And sometimes we don't know how to deal with that in adult life. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, based on and kind of what you've been through and your own experiences, you know, how we how we deal with that in adult life and, and how we manifest it in a way that is is not, you know, uh, counterproductive for us. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I guess you get as many different answers to that question as you have people. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for me. I think it it's really important that I stay true to, you know, my own uh principles and and do what um 
I think is important for me and, and what, you know, interests me, um, always. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, I think sometimes, um, that's like, you know, it's not like what, what my family like wants to hear or, uh, you know, it's not necessarily what'll make the most money or is the most conventional. Uh, but it's in, invariably the thing that, uh, you know, I get the most satisfaction out of. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, I, like I was writing uh, this dissertation in school and I got kind of stuck and I, I was just, I was really not happy. I, I didn't like doing it. Um, I was about halfway through it. Uh, and I, um, I started kind of procrastinating a lot. And, uh, you know, I, that's when I, I got on OkCupid, you know, kind of more and more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, um, at some point I realized that the, the tools that I was using, uh, in this dissertation would apply, um, to OkCupid. I was, um, trying to cluster high dimensional data. Mm -hmm. Um, and OkCupid is a, like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a multiple choice based dating website. So you go online and, um, you, like answer a bunch of multiple choice questions that, and you can choose which questions you answer. Uh, and then based on your answers to those questions, um, and a couple other factors, uh, it generates like a match percentage with you and for every other user on the site. Um, and, uh, that number is, um, subject to lots of different, uh, like mathematical inputs. And so it's, it's optimizable, um, in a dozen different ways. Uh, so to me, that immediately was a more interesting problem than my dissertation. <laughs> All right. So it's so a lot of stuff there that we're going to probably spend the majority of our time talking about, because I think that's what really kind of drew me into the whole story. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about your time in China, uh, only because it's such an unusual college experience, uh, to, to go to that, you know, you mentioned going there instead of going to MIT. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I guess for me, one of the things that I'm always very curious about is how our past experiences shape the way our, our, our life turns out and the way our world worldview becomes. And I'm curious kind of, you know, how studying there, uh, really influenced, uh, the work that you've done, uh, you know, how it led to, to, to sort of what you've done, you know, with your PhD and, I mean, in general, how did that kind of an experience sort of shape and influence your worldview differently than it might have if you had gone to college in the United States? Um, well, let's see. I mean, I, I did, I spent a little over a year there. So I, I did go to college in the United States, um, on the East coast. Uh, but there, there's a huge difference between the two experiences my experience in the U.S. was, uh, you know, highly privileged, like, beautiful campus, uh, meticulously kept up by, like, um, like labor, <laughs> um, you know, populated with, like, smiling, like, Caucasian faces with, like, zero perception of, like, 
a, a world in which they don't have this as a birthright. Mm-hmm. Um, and my experience in China was uh, one of like, you know, gray sort of monolithic uh, Mao Zedong era communist architecture, like, um, like really, really smart um, Chinese students from all over the country, generally from like very poor families mm-hmm. uh, who are, are very aware of like how precarious their situation is and um, like very driven to be the one who, you know, wins the lottery and, you know, kind of like makes it out. Mm-hmm. Um, very little like wiggle room uh, for things like, uh, whatever, you know, um, drugs, sex, <laughs> um, like road trips, you know, yeah. stuff like that just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an interesting cultural perspective, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, having grown up in an Indian family, I mean, I've butted heads with my parents about sort of, Hey, you know, why do you discourage living a creative life? Why do you think that everything has to be so certain? But I mean, it took me a long time to see that, uh, you know, as I, as I thought about it more and more, you know, in that kind of an environment, uh, you know, the sort of culture of the web of, you know, quit your job, do what you love, travel the world, all that nonsense. It really is nonsense when you come from a, a situation like that, because you know, I, I look at, you know, what the consequences are of failure uh, for somebody in a situation like the one you're talking about. I mean, even when I look back at my parents, I realize now why it's so difficult for them to get, you know, their head around, hey, you know, here's this uncertain thing that I'm molding from something that doesn't exist is because in in that kind of a culture, the consequences of that are not, hey, you might, you know, end up failing. You might have a bit of shame. The consequences of that are you're going to end up on the street. And those are actually very real consequences. It's not, you know, the worst case scenario. It is actually a realistic possibility that you're going to end up in a disastrous situation. Uh, and, and that's, it, it's interesting that we, we, it's very hard, I think, for us to get that, uh, in the culture that we live in today. I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I think that's, um, I, I, I think that's, that, that totally resonates with me. Like, uh, and, and that's the situation, you know, for, most of the world it's just america doesn't like see it you know it's not like a story that that we listen to very often yeah. you know I, I i think the median yearly income uh in the world is is in u.s dollars about ten thousand a year mm-hmm. you know so 50 percent of the world makes less than 10 g's a year um and uh y- y- you know for a country like America, whose whose lifestyle is predicated on you know the world's largest per capita consumption of oil um, and other fossil fuels for energy, it's it's uh, it, you know the kind of like liberal arts experience and like um, sort of uh, you know two point two career changes per life like. Uh, guaranteed high-speed internet access, social media, like everything that we sort of take as like a foundational part of our world mm-hmm. is like a, really an, an extreme sort of upper crust, like 
privilege, you know, that doesn't exist in most places in the world and probably won't exist in most places of the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so I think for people like your parents, you know, who like presumably immigrated to the U S from yeah, India. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They like, uh, I mean, they, they like fought tooth and nail to like make better opportunities for themselves and their children. And then, you know, there's, it's, it's almost like a, there's like a sort of archetype that surrounds the immigrant experience. Like your kids speak the language, the new language much better than you do. And they like, you know, grow up, uh, in, in this new place with values that are a bit different than yours. And, and it causes some frictions, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have the benefit of it. I think there is a lot of benefit to that experience for the kids. I, you know, and I, I didn't have that because, you know, my parents grew up here as well, but I, I think I sort of constructed it for myself a, a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. by like insisting on going to this kind of dystopian place and, and, uh, like trying to have in my own, like kind of 19 year old misguided way, a, like a real experience instead of like a, let's go to France experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. I mean, when you were, uh, younger, uh, you know, especially college, did you know that, you know, where you were headed was a math PhD or is that something that basically came about based on experience and, and based on kind of, you know, the, the things that have happened in your life? Yeah, it, it came about the long way. I mean, I, I was, I was always really good at math, but I was, um, on a really weird trip. You know, I, I didn't fit in that well in college and, um, you know, I ended up getting a, a degree in, uh, Chinese language, you know, with like a, a minor in math. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, after I graduated, I, uh, moved to New York city in, um, like January, uh, 2001, um, was really broke living like, uh, you know, one Oh nine street and Broadway. Um, and, uh, I started, um, doing contract based translation from Mandarin to English. So I just translate like legal documents, diplomas, um, just random little things. Uh, and it, it was just kind of stressful job. Uh, really boring. Uh, like most of my competitors were, you know, like Taiwanese Americans with law degrees from universities in Taiwan. So translating legal documents for them was like a five minute affair, mm-hmm. you know, it was for me, it was like a, 90 hour like like hair pulling sort of you know dictionary uh flipping like nightmare um and i did that for about uh six months um i actually i worked or my the company i worked for was based out of the uh world trade center it was on the 91st floor of the north tower um and yeah, I would go in there uh, usually a couple of days a week in the afternoon for meetings. Um, and I had a meeting scheduled uh, in the afternoon uh, on September 11th, 2001. So uh, I, uh, you know, I woke up to like the news that the a, a plane had hit the, the basically like the floor below my office. Um, and uh a lot of the people that I work with, you know, didn't survive. Uh, and that was a really 
really horrific experience, you know, really um, alienating mm. kind of experience. Um, and uh, so after that, you know, I, I, I think like a lot of people in the city then had really had to reorient myself uh, in my life. And, uh, you know, I, I just decided not to do uh, corporate jobs, you know, uh, ever again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was really broke for a while. I like, was like the world's worst bike messenger for about eight months. <laughs> um, and then I, I, I got a really good break. I like happened to, um, meet a friend of a friend who, uh, played blackjack professionally with a team. Um, and they recruited me and, you know, trained me. And, and I spent like the next four and a half years of my life playing uh, team advantage blackjack out of Vegas mostly. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So I, I knew there was more to this story than what I saw. So that's why I'm really glad we got, so this is, this is now this is getting really interesting. Um, well, let's talk about the nine 11 piece a little bit. Um, if you're okay with it, uh, you know, one of the things you just said was you had to really reorient your life. And this question seems to come up over and over again lately. I don't know why, but, um, you know, it's, it's the idea of a a traumatic experience being the catalyst for massive change in your life. That seems to be an ongoing theme. And I guess the the question always becomes for me is, is, okay, well, what if you don't have the traumatic experience? I mean, how do you do, how do you start to get, you know, your life reoriented without that? Is that even possible? Or do you think some kind of a downfall uh, is is necessary in order to really kind of see what's important? Um, I, I think some kind of like, uh, you know, emotional and intellectual disarray is is probably necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think that that needs to be caused by some like devastating or catastrophic event. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think you know, if there is an event, then there's a, th- there's something re- really like tangible to, to re- revisit in your mind mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, still have like a visceral sort of emotional response to later on after like the initial impetus is faded in, and uh, but so I, I think for me there, there is always this like imperative, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I, in in my case, I didn't really have a, a comfortable thing to fall back on. You know, I mean, I guess I could have gotten another translation job, but I just didn't. Um, you know, I had to eat, so I, I had to move on pretty quickly. Right. Um, you know, but I, I think for anyone, I mean, if if whatever you're stuck in is is r- really not good for you, uh, then you're going to have the same kind of experience and, and, you know, whether or not you like turn that into a catalyst to, to change yourself or something is, I I think it's something that's up to the individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, you brought up not having sort of a fallback plan. And I think that it's interesting that we, sometimes I think our fallback plan can often become our sort of handcuffs almost because 
you know, I call it reaching a point of no return. I say, you know, you get to this point where you can't turn back anymore. You know, and I, I reached that a few years ago uh, when I realized I walked into a job interview and they more or less looked at everything that I had been working on. And the very thing that had gotten me into the door, they said, was the reason they wouldn't hire me. They said, you're building all this stuff on the side. They said, you don't want a job. It's pretty clear. Um, and we know you're going to quit when you don't need us anymore. And I had to come to terms with that. I had to look them in the eye and say, you know what? You're absolutely right. I won't be here a second longer than I have to be. And, of course, I didn't get the offer. Uh, but it, it, it's – and that, that's kind of one of those interesting things where, you, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a balancing act between being audacious but also making sure you're set up to take care of yourself. Uh, you know, I want to ask you about the blackjack team. I, I actually didn't know that. That's such a, a an interesting part of this. I mean, what's it like to spend four years playing on a, a team blackjack team? I mean, is it is it the way it's portrayed in the movies where you're ending up in back rooms of casinos, potentially getting beat up or putting on disguises and, and running from, you know, casino executives? Uh, you know, what's what's that whole experience like? And, and, you know, how does that lead to, hey, you know what? I'm done with this and I'm going to go get a Ph.D. in math. Um. Well, let's see. I, like, yeah, I mean, in a way, uh, it is like the the crappy movie that you saw based <laughs> on that crappy book that yeah. you might have read. Um, but the 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 guy doesn't like put on um, huge like diamond rings to like break your face. And uh, um, there was. Uh, one landmark suit a couple years ago, a guy who got back roomed at the Imperial Palace, which a dingy little casino on the Strip, mm-hmm. uh, actually originally built by a um, neo-Nazi. Uh, and if you happen to look at a, a Google satellite image of it, the building's built out like a swastika. Cool. Um, they back roomed a guy, um, roughed him up, not really. I, I mean, I think they cuffed his hands behind him in, in very tightly in a very uncomfortable way and, and had him shoved against a wall for mm-hmm. 40 minutes or so, successfully sued them for $400,000. Um, so huge landmark suit. Uh, um, after that, uh, casinos, at least in Vegas on the Strip, have been very wary of um, anything coming close to that. Of course, I played most of my career before that, um, so I, I got backroomed a lot. Uh, uh, but maybe I should take a step back. Uh, yeah, so playing team blackjack, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it was a lot of fun um, for the first couple of years. You know, it, it's like a lot of interesting stories, a lot of like good people, um, you know, most of whom I, I'm, I still am friends with and occasionally play blackjack with. Uh, you know, it was a great part-time job. Uh, I, I played, you know, maybe uh, three, five days a month. Um, you know, I was able to pay my bills easily that way, which left me a lot of time, you know, um, to do other things. Uh, you know, we owned a house in Los Angeles, um, you know, so I'd fly out there um, to play. Um, you know, oftentimes we play in other places in the country or, you know, uh, other countries. Um, we had a pretty large team. Uh, we played really aggressively, uh, which was great for our bottom line, but, um, often it invariably really meant getting kicked out a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
after three or four years of that, I'd, I'd been kicked out of every property on the strip in Vegas multiple times. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and the last, the last time I remember trying to go into the Bellagio to get down, I was like, it was during the Super Bowl. Um, so the floor was just packed, you know, I like bought in at a quarter table. So like a $25 table, which is the lowest limit table they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, for like $200, I buy in, I, I'm like b- barely able to get a spot. Uh, and you know, I'm playing $25 bets for about like five minutes. I'm just looking around at conditions, you know, not even there really to play. I'm just there to like, see if one could play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh two suits come down and uh you know tap me on the shoulder and they're like hey chris you know how's school <laughs> <laughs> you know and and for me that was like a that was a a watershed moment i was like okay like the bellagio they're classy but clearly like um like uh you know the facial recognition technology is like uh it's not like bullshit <laughs> it's like <laughs> um and uh I, you know it's probably time i like transition into uh other things full time because my you know money making opportunities at least on the strip are, are you know evaporating mm-hmm. hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Let me ask you this. I mean, is it uh, is there a thrill to it that you, you miss or is there I mean, is there an adrenaline to it? I mean, it sounds like there would be. Yeah, there's a rush. I mean, you know, anytime that you're in a situation, I mean, there's a lot of money going on squares uh-huh. uh, and you have to do, uh, you know, some computations uh involving like how much money gets done and what decisions get made but also there's a strong element of like theater to it you know um one big mistake that the mit team made and a reason they never made a ton of money was uh they erred on the side of the technical ability Mm -hmm. you know so they're they're uh people who are doing the math for them had to be able to estimate the number of uh, cards that have been played to within 13 cards, mm-hmm. you know, which, uh, uh, maybe gets you, you know, a, a marginal amount, uh, more expected value, you know, than being able to estimate within 26 cards. Uh, so they ended up training people who just stared at discard trays, you know, didn't look like gamblers at all. Uh, we're not really able to interact with like other players, dealers, pit bosses very well at all. And so never got down, so to speak, like never really convinced anyone that they belonged in the casino because they didn't look like anyone else in the casino. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so a big part of walking out of a casino with money is being able to convince the casino to let you play for a long enough period of time that your edge manifests in a positive result, mm-hmm. you know, and, a big part of that is theater. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that whole package is, can be a lot of fun, but ultimately, uh, you know, it's like you, you roll into town, uh, you have a crazy, like, you know, 96 hours or, or however many hours it is not sleeping much, playing a lot. And then you come out of town with some result, you know, usually positive, but, it got kind of hollow for me because it's not like I I I made anything uh, other than money. Mm-hmm. I didn't like change anyone's life. I didn't affect anyone, anyone any meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of had this like bad taste in my mouth after a couple of years of that, and and really wanted to move on and do something meaningful. So I think that makes a, a perfect setup to, to bringing us to sort of the UCLA years and, and how I discovered you. Uh, 
you know, I, I love that you brought up the story of the relationship uh, that caused you to move into your cubicle uh, in uh, the lab. You know, it, it's funny because I, I think I read something yesterday that, you know, some of our greatest work comes from times of torture or times of, of people who are in their downtimes. Uh, it's this book called The Untethered Soul. And, and you, you often look at great art. It often comes from some of the most traumatic periods of our life. And I mean, I, I would argue that what you've done uh, is really a, an art form. It, it's not just math, but I think you've created art with what you've done with OKCupid. Uh, you know, I'm curious, kind of, there's probably an in-between phase in which you find out that you've, you know, you get, you get an email about a relationship ending, and then you bury yourself in your work. But there's sort of an in-between phase between the, those two things. And I'm wondering how you navigated that in-between phase without letting it sort of destroy you um, because clearly it led to a very positive place after that. Yeah. I let it destroy me <laughs> for temporarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was, I, it was, it's pretty, I was pretty bummed out. Uh, <laughs> um, and it was a, yeah, it was, it was a real low point. I, uh, and, you know, my way of like triggering myself out of it was to make myself uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I just started removing uh, sources of comfort, you know. And, so I, uh, and, and the first thing to go was uh, my living situation, you know. Um, and uh, it was, you know, it was a conscious decision. It wasn't like I needed to save money or anything. Uh, I, I did it so that um, I, I would you know, finish or, or perish. Uh, and you know, I told myself I wasn't, I wasn't moving out of my cubicle till I graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, that, that ended up taking, uh, uh, a little over 12 months. Uh, but you know, I did it. Uh, and, uh, I had to, um, use a supercomputer in Colorado, uh, for most of my work. Um, so I had to, um, be online when no one else was online, uh, in the country who might be using it. So that usually meant Pacific coast time, um, you know, between like midnight and 4am or something. Um, so I, uh, you know, I was up late a lot by myself. Um, and it was, you know, it was pretty lonely and boring a lot of the time. And, uh, and, I was, I was like, I said before, really looking for something else that to hold my interest, you know, at some period where, uh, my research was, uh, was a little bit stuck and, you know, eventually I, I hit on OkCupid. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes completely sense. So, so I think that the, one of the things that's really interesting is you said removing sources of comfort. And man, I mean, that's talk about ways to grow really fast. I mean, every time you, I always say all growth occurs outside your comfort zone. And, and the thing is, I, I think that can, I mean, it doesn't have to be in such drastic ways as the way you've done yours. But I mean, I think that that's such a huge thing. And, and we're so sort of averse to that. It's, I, I see that over and over, but the people I see who, uh, have made just drastic changes in their life, somehow every, every time they remove a source of comfort, it leads them to a much, much better place uh, down the road. I mean, in the short run, it sucks. It, it's pretty <laughs> awful. Uh, so it, l- let me ask you this. You know, one of the things you said earlier is is through sort of the math work that you were doing, um, somehow you saw this connection between that and OkCupid. 
And, you know, we, we deal with a lot of creative people here uh, at our show and a lot of people here do creative work. And one of the things that I've found as a, a common thread throughout creative work is, is seeing patterns and connections. I mean, what probably led me to you is seeing patterns and connections of, okay, well, there's a story here. We could learn something about creativity from a guy who may not be classified traditionally as an artist or a creative, but he's done something incredibly creative. Um, so, you know, I'm curious kind of, is there, has all, have all the influences of your life connected in a way to, to lead to this? And, and if so, I mean, how do we look at our own lives and, and bring in, you know, how, how do we find connectedness between all the things that we're working on? Like, is there something about the way you view the world that allows you to see patterns and things like that? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm to some extent a product of my experiences. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I mentioned, I played a lot of blackjack, you know, um, uh, I had like a number of mentors during that time who were, um, you know, physicists or, or mathematicians or, you know, just r- really smart, like poker players with high school degrees, you know, who, who would just like look at, some game and, and, you know, be able to like take it apart and see how, you know, you could beat it and then go home and, and write some code and, and do some like Monte Carlo simulations and like come up with a strategy and then like have the, you know, uh, wherewithal to like back that financially and like come back and, and bet the strategy, you know, and like if they lose catastrophic amounts of money, like, have the further wherewithal to like, uh, you know, look at the model and if it's right, like, you know, continue to bet money, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and, and, uh, you know, usually, uh, get through the period of what it was just bad luck, you know, and, and end up making a, 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 you know, a fair amount of money for themselves and, and just take that and repeat it, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, uh, I think I, I inherited, uh, a little bit of a like you know i i can reverse engineer things like there's nothing uh like there's no god-given status to okcupid okay because it's like a freaking website that people use you mm-hmm. know no. um you know and i think that's like a myth about that that we have about technology in general right it's like technology is going to improve our lives and and it's going to do it in this uh sort of like Oh, you know, mana from heaven kind of way where you can just like sit back and, and relax and like, you know, you're going to have the perfect date um, because like you're just going to swipe right and, and like there <laughs> she's going to be, you know, and like or, you know, you're going to like watch the perfect episode of your favorite show because there it is, you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to engage with it. You don't have to like um, come to terms with technology, you know, for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's a big fallacy hidden in there somewhere, you know, and I think it has to do with, uh, this like, like, okay, Cupid, despite being a cool company and an interesting website does not have your best interests at heart, you know? <laughs> Right. They're a free website. Their bottom line is keeping people uh, coming back to the site so they can serve them ads because that's how they, they <laughs> you so know, it, it's in their incentive to make sure that you actually don't meet the love of your life to some extent. Yeah. Uh, um, like 
you meeting the love of your life efficiently and getting offline forever is bad business for them. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not adding to their bottom line. Mm. Uh, and certainly you doing that in a way where you're not on, on their website clicking through questions a lot is, is very bad for their bottom line, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so uh, in that sense, you know, the, the multiple choice questions on OkCupid function, they're, they're clickbait. You know, when, when you answer one, up pops another one with, you know, another ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they strive uh, to keep those questions really interesting. Uh, they're all submitted by, they're all crowdsourced, you know, submitted by users. Uh, so they update. Uh, they're usually really funny. Um, like you're oftentimes answering them because you want to see how this person who you found their profile uh, answered them. You know, so there's this like, show me yours and I'll show you mine kind of thing, which like I think keeps people answering questions. And and you end up answering, you know, hundreds of questions, not because uh, you're being uh, highly accurate about the way that the answers affect your, you know, uh, superposition and orientation in a high dimensional question space. Uh, but because like, you just wanted to like, uh, you weren't really thinking about it, you know? Uh, and, uh, that doesn't actually generate, um, a, a great result, you know, for, at least for, uh, like straight or bisexual male. Right. Most of the- so, you know, on that note, let me, let me ask you this. This was actually a question that, that I did think about ahead of time, um, that I wanted to ask you. I mean, you've taken uh, a very, very sort of quantitative approach, but you know, what you're talking to me about also has a qualitative aspect to it. Um, because we're talking about human beings here, right? We're talking about real emotions, real feelings. And I'm curious, uh, through this process, how you balance those two things. I mean, given that, you know, your background is as a math PhD. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I don't really, I didn't really balance them at first. Uh, <laughs> you know, it started off as a, just a pure kind of intellectual exercise. Like I, I thought I could game the system. I had like the time on my hands and, and the, the tools at hand that, uh, I needed to do it. And so I, you know, spent about, uh, four weeks, you know, coding and like testing and, um, making sure, you know, I wasn't getting detected and, uh, eventually, um, curated a, a set of, uh, questions and answers, you know, and, um, weights that, uh, you know, took me from being a over 90% match with maybe a couple hundred women in LA to being a 90% or greater match with, you know, about 30,000 women wow. in LA, which is, you know, uh, it's a pretty large number, but, uh, that just put me at the top of everyone's search essentially, mm-hmm. you know, so, so a woman would go online and, you know, s- search for something, uh, and I, there I'd be, you know, at the top or near the top, but, I was still living, you know, in my cubicle. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, I, you know, I, I that that's sort of just for me where the whole social part of the journey really began. I would say. Uh, 
So, you know, obviously there's got to be some funny stories that have come from that. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, you're living in a cubicle and now you've got, you're suddenly on the radar of 30,000 women in LA. Uh, <laughs> I mean, talk, talk to me about sort of, I mean, I, I read some of the stuff in the article in okay, uh, on Wired, uh, which, you know, for those of you guys listening, we'll link that. But I mean, I, I, I wanted to talk to you because I figured I'm like, wow, what a crazy story. I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, you eventually did meet um, a woman that you're engaged to, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, so talk to me about sort of the, the humorous and sort of unexpected twists and turns that came through this. I mean, obviously, it's like, hey, I'm not I, I, in my mind, I think I'm like, so how did you get laid then if you ever did during this process, like back at your cubicle in your lab? No, I mean, uh, I yeah, I, I usually went to her house. Um, <laughs> you know, I uh, well, I, I first of all, I am. I, um, I like I had to make a a profile that was going to convert all those like views into messages. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I uh mined a whole bunch of photographs on the website, uh mined a whole bunch of texts on the website, you know, found out um quantitatively what goes into uh you know, a really effective profile and like constructed you know, sort of in the optimal collection of images and words to convert page views into messages. And then, and then after that, I just, I actually didn't really log in the site much at all. I, you know, I got about 10 unsolicited messages a day. Wow. Um, you know, I, I read them, uh, I, you know, I had a script that just imported them into my Gmail inbox. So I just read them like I read other email. Um, and, uh, you know, if I found one that that was interesting, I might look at her profile and, and just shoot her back a really simple message like, you know, hey, you seem interesting. Do you want to have a cup of coffee? Uh-huh. Um, you know, and at first it was, hey, you seem interesting. You want to, um, <laughs> like, insert, like, really creative, awesome sounding first romantic date idea, uh, you know, and so there'd be like hikes, you know, uh, shows, like concerts, dinner but that that's not sustainable you know when you're doing on average you know seven eight dates a week <laughs> you know so I, I, that was that was probably the first mistake i made and then there are a lot of other funny mistakes you know like don't i wouldn't ever recommend getting picked up by someone in a car that's not your own to go someplace far away which is you know, the default in Los Angeles, right. uh, you know, without any recourse, yeah. <laughs> don't do that. Um, uh, you, you know, you'll be like taken to, a, a very expensive sushi restaurant, uh, for like a seven course omakase dinner with like, uh, you know, a very embittered, like, uh, like crazy woman <laughs> who will hold you hostage. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, for me, I I wouldn't recommend uh, drinking, which I know it's probably not something that worked for a lot of people. But uh, I I, I realized I just could not drink on these dates. It was it was just a horrible idea. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it clouded my judgment. Um, It usually led to more drinks. It was expensive. It was also, you know, unsustainable. uh, And for the number of dates I was going on, uh, it, you know, definitely resulted in some fun nights, but also some, you know, 
waking up on like some girl's kitchen floor like five in the morning to like like you know the smell of like someone cooking meth um (laughs) on a stove for breakfast like yeah i mean you can really dive deep in los angeles you know on sites like okcupid uh and and get real but uh if, if what you really want is to meet someone uh that you know, you feel like you have a lot like that you really click with, I guess, uh, uh-huh. then, then really these, these dates shouldn't be dates. They should just be like little pre-date almost interviews. You know, it's, it's just like I needed, I realized I needed to be in the same physical space as, as, as the person for about five minutes. That's all I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was really part of the filtering experience, you know. Uh, and so I just tried to think of the smallest, you know, kind of atomic, like socially acceptable interaction I could build around that, you know. And, and that turned out to be coffee. And if it could have been a five-minute cup of coffee, I would have done that, you know. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it, it, that, that, didn't, that doesn't work for many people. So it ended up being, you know, about half-hour, 20-minute cup of coffee. Wow. Um, and you know, that itself, uh, got pretty trippy because, you know, the way I had to, the way I hacked the site, I had to, um, cluster like all of these women, um, into groups that had answered questions in a highly statistically significantly similar fashion. Um, and so that, that manifested in, continuously like odd ways when I would meet them in person, you know, people would, uh, order the same coffee drinks. Uh, you know, w- women would, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, so it was I, almost I did. like you could predict their behavior before it happened. Um, yeah. I mean, people aren't their profiles, right. you know, so there are always little surprises in there, but like, yeah, the, the, like, um, unintended similarities were often really creepy. That is really funny. Uh, you, you know, one other question on this. I mean, you know, it seems like you go from like, you know, troubled relationship to this overnight. One of the things we never talked about was sort of your, your earlier history with women. I mean, did you date a lot when you were younger or is this, was this like a sudden influx of, you know, female company into your life? Uh, no, I mean, I dated a fair amount when I was younger. I, I think, uh, uh, being in grad school, I, I like hadn't been dating as much for the last couple of years. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like zero to like 120. Right. Um, but you know, I, I've, I've been in like maybe five or something semi-serious, you know, whatever, like 12 month, eight month sure. relationships before that. Pretty average, I think for, you know, someone in the U S and they're like late twenties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, this finally did lead to you meeting uh, a, a woman and, and, you know, that you're engaged to. So a couple of things come to that. I mean, I think the, the Wired article must have really sort of uh, gone nuts. I mean, what have been the byproducts of this? And have, have, you, been, have you been found out by any of the women that were, were part of your entire plan? Oh, uh, yeah, I've been in touch with a couple of them. Um, I mean, I, I, uh, I i've kept in touch with some of them just through okcupid mm-hmm. um and you know i reached out to a few of them before the article um uh, but uh 
most of them, uh, you know, the, the turnover on that site is quite high, you know, mm-hmm. so most of them are, their profiles have been deactivated long, long ago. Uh, and, and I don't know what's become of them. I mean, I have, I have, I kept very detailed notes on all of my dates. So, you know, I, I often have their contact numbers and stuff, but, uh, you know, I haven't felt the need to cold call them. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, what, what's been the aftermath of, of the Wired article? I mean, obviously it landed you here at the Unmistakable Creative. I'm very curious kind of what else has come about because of this. I mean, have guys contacted you asking for help? Have, have other oh, people? Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Uh, so what's it now? It's like April. Uh, yeah. So it, we're about three months out, I guess, from mm-hmm. the, the publication date for the first two months. I, you know, I was getting a, a over a hundred emails a day. It was really insane. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, uh, and a sizable chunk of those were, yeah. Hey dude, can I, can I like use your codes? Uh, or like, Hello, Christopher. Uh, I am a researcher, you know, at Oxford University studying behavioral economics, and uh, I would uh, really very much like to make use of your code that you wrote. I would wonder if you'd be willing to open source it or just send me a copy for my own uh, personal use. I promise not to disseminate your code, you know, like (laughs) uh, just lots of like like guys begging in various ways uh, Mm -hmm. for tools um and you know lots of um venture capitalists like uh doing the same thing uh on a different level you know um lots of uh media outlets you know especially in the first couple weeks Mm -hmm. um you know a couple really cool uh you know non-standard sort of media channels like you guys or um you know npr uh like science shows from you know, Canada, New Zealand, Poland, you know, France, uh, a couple documentary filmmakers, um, numerous Hollywood producers, um, you know, uh, book agents. Um, I don't know. Really runs the gamut. I bet. Has it um, has it changed uh, your your sort of career trajectory at all? Because I know, I mean, now you're you're teaching at Northridge. I mean, that's how I got in contact with you when I, I googled you. But I'm curious. I mean, has it has it altered what you're going to do with your life um, and the you know the math career? Definitely, yeah. Fundamentally, very big change. Um, I, I can't go into specifics sure. too much, but um, yeah. I mean, it's been a I've been incredibly fortunate. I mean, the, the article had over like 50,000 likes, you mm-hmm. know, on Facebook. It was a, re- a really huge article for Wired and for me, um, you know, it, it definitely life-changing. Um, that kind of exposure, you know, was able to like put me in front of, you know, enough like-minded people uh, that, you know, I was able to connect with with some of them and really like, affect uh, a lot of change personally and professionally very cool well chris uh you know we're we're close to about an hour here and uh, this has been a really entertaining chat i really appreciate you coming and uh taking the time to join us and and share some of your uh, insights with us but i'm gonna ask you one final question uh you know our show is called the unmistakable creative and i'd imagine as a byproduct of this you've probably seen your fair share of things on the web uh and 
I'm very curious what you think it is that makes somebody or something on the internet or in the world today unmistakable. Um, that's a good question. I, I think like, I, I think that, um, that I think here's what I think. Uh, I, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, uh, quote unquote, like viral content on the internet these days. And like a lot of, you know, uh, news is, uh, sort of curated performance art, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it like is actually, you know, a fake Twitter conversation on a plane on Thanksgiving that's like promoted as real news, or it's like real news that's like been blown like so far out of its original context that it might as well be like theater, uh, I think that like actual store like stories from real people doing like uh interesting things tend to stand out mm-hmm. um from the like massive like load of bullshit that like normally rolls <laughs> through your Facebook news feed or whatever. Yeah. Um and uh you know I I think that like in my case, you know, w- what I did hit a nerve with a lot of people, I, I think, you know, on a couple levels, like there are people who are very uncomfortable with it and, um, you know, called it like manipulative or misogynist, um, you know, and, and I, I think that it happened, you know, at a time when like, we, you know, we know that the NSA is scraping our metadata, right. We know that like companies are, you know, has to have to do it for the NSA and they also do it for their own, uh, profit, you know, like Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, whatever. Um, but maybe it's a little less comfy when an individual does it, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you can put a face on that person, uh, or, you know, that person's like a, uh, Caucasian male, um, you know, putative, uh, mathematician, right. Probably reclusive, probably like socially, uh, you know, not like normalized, (laughs) Mm -hmm. probably weird. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to put me in a little box and call me, uh, put, throw some label on it. Um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, the, the story, like I think caused a, a fair amount of controversy just on those grounds. Um, and I, I think that, that, maybe part of its interest for some people, you know, and for other people, um, the idea that, that you can, um, you know, do something with data and have a real effect on your personal life, Mm -hmm. um, is like a, a really interesting idea, you know, as a conceit to kind of meditate on and, and, I, I think that's, you know, what held interest for probably most of the people I've talked to. Wow. 
really, really cool. You know, it's funny. I had a, <clears throat> had a guy here uh, who was talking to me about relationships as an engine for personal growth. When I asked him that exact question, he said depth. And, you know, it, I, I love that you brought up, you know, the amount of crap that comes across your, your Facebook news feed. It's like, you know, people say BuzzFeed is, is the lowest common denominator on the Internet. It's where you go when you've run out of looking at, you know, when you, your attention span has gone to the point where you need to look at something that has no depth. Uh, mm-hmm. But I really, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming uh, and taking the time to join us and, and share some of your insights with our listeners here at the unmistakable creative it's been uh, it's been a very different kind of conversation but that's kind of why i wanted to have it because i knew it would be something uh unusual and something that we'd probably not hear on many other podcasts yeah no it was my pleasure it was great talking to you likewise and uh, for those of you guys listening we'll wrap the show with that you've been listening to the unmistakable creative podcast visit our website at unmistakablecreative.com and get access to over 400 interviews in our archives Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.